If you would, join me in prayer as we go to the Lord and ask His uh, grace uh, on our time. Father, we just give thanks to You for this day, and we say thank You for the powerful, powerful gospel. We thank You, Lord Jesus, that it is Your power for salvation to everyone who believes. And so, Lord, this morning we come, those of us who have professed the Lord Jesus and repented of the rebellion, and we say we are Yours. Holy Spirit, teach us, counsel us, guide us into the truth. Lord, I pray for those who may be in darkness because of unrepentance, that you would awaken them to life. Holy Spirit, you would breathe on them and that they would be regenerated, that they may see and save or believe and turn. Lord, you do your work this morning. Move all of us out of the way. Equip your church. Build your church for your glory and for our joy, we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 8 through 14 is where we're coming from. So if you got your Bible, you want to flip on there. I'm going to read the passage and we're going to jump in. Live in the light and expose the darkness. Live in the light and expose the darkness. Verse 8. For at one time you were darkness. Now, by the way, moms, I know, I know, I know the babies are in the house. It's good, all right? We're good with that, all right? We do this on purpose. This is an opportunity to train them to worship. So parents, worship, enjoy. We know they make noise. I teach, right? I teach 7th through 12th grade. And so I know 7th grade boys, we got to do burpees. We got to work it out, you know. So, so it's okay. If you need to have your kid do burpees over to the side to work it out, that's okay. We're here on purpose, so we're good, all right? We're alive. I love to hear the little ones coming up and down the, the hall because that means there's life up in this place. And so be that way, okay? Be cool. We all know they're here. It's all right if they make a little noise and wiggle, okay? For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In John 7 and 8, he he in in his gospel records for us This encounter that happens at the Feast of Tabernacles on the heels of Jesus taking the woman caught in adultery and acquitting her of her sin and setting her free. And his encounter with this ceremony taking place called the Illumination of the Temple. This event takes place in front of four large candelabra that are fed with large and they're really super tall and they have wicks that are fed by these massive tanks that hold, some say, up to 65 liters of oil. And some priest or Levite who is fit and young hosses oil up to these containers to feed these wicks so that they can burn all night. And at this ceremony, they're celebrating, they're coming out of Egypt. And how did the Lord lead them by night? By what? A pillar of fire and so they're celebrating this activity of the lord at the temple during this feast of tabernacles with this ceremony called the illumination of the temple 
Men of piety and good works used to dance before the candelabra with burning torches in their hands, singing songs and praise. And countless Levites with their harps and lyres and cymbals and trumpets and instruments of music. It's in this setting, in John 7 and 8, where Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus, taking the opportunity where they celebrated light and the Lord, by light, leading them through darkness, Jesus comes and He says, I am that light. So therefore, if you walk by me, you don't walk in darkness anymore. We're going to come to Ephesians 6.12 in the not too distant future as we're studying through Ephesians where Paul is going to say to this church, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so we already see set up, A, it's all over the Bible. B, it's all over the book of Ephesians. It's all over the Gospels. This glorious theme of light versus darkness. In Him was the light of life, right? And the darkness has not overcome it. So you have at the fall, darkness began to rule. Things that happened in the dark began to rule. And then you have the light of the world who is Christ, who has not ceased shining. But for the moment, the curse has held back some of the light. The fall brought darkness and death. An eclipse of the way, the truth, and the life. But Jesus, the light of the world, has brought light and life. And as we're learning in the book of Ephesians from chapter 4 on, Paul is teaching us how to walk worthy in this light. How to walk worthy in the light of the gospel. This mysterious reality that in Christ, all things have been brought together in unity under Him. And He is bringing that to play in His good time as the gospel advances, the kingdom advances. God is bringing all things under the headship of Christ and His church is united. There's one, there's not many. We are united in Christ. No racial distinction, no social distinction. We're one body. And Paul says, now walk worthy in this. So from chapter 4, verse 1 on, he's been teaching us how to walk worthy. And in this passage, we're going to learn that walking worthy Involves walking in the light and exposing darkness. Rejecting the curse. Rejecting death. And rejecting darkness. So let's start with the first part of verse 8. For at one time you were darkness. So there was a time, and this, 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 obviously we've already been through chapter 2, we know this, right? But there was a time in which apart from Christ you were dead. You were in the dark. You were a child of disobedience, following the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. That's what we were. But we've learned because of the work of the gospel, we were once darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. Verse 8 is not disconnected from the previous passage. That's clear as you read this. But it's a continuation of the thought in verse 7. We're not to be partakers with those who don't imitate God precisely because we're children of light, not darkness. So the reason we don't become partakers with those 
who are not imitators of God is precisely because we're no longer in the darkness. As a matter of fact, we're in the light, but we are also light ourselves in the Lord. We're God imitators, not God haters. We imitate Jesus Christ. We don't seek to run from Him. Romans 13, 12 to 14 says this, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Christ has come. He's broken the curse. The dawn has happened. The kingdom is advancing. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What we learn in verse 8 here is this glorious reality that our nature has changed. What does he say? For at one time you were darkness, comma, but now you are light. The language is important here. It's not you reflect light. It is you are now light. You once were darkness. You were defined by your deadness. You were a son or a daughter of disobedience. You walked in darkness. You walked in this Romans 13, 12 to 14 darkness. And I didn't intentionally read some of the words there. So if you're reading, you, because we've got little ones in here. It's, it's not G-rated. And so you can go read that if you're not reading along. We said, that's what you were. But now you are light in the Lord. Our nature has changed. Listen, if you're in Christ, your nature has shifted. What does the Bible tell us? You are a new creation. You've been remade in Christ. You're no longer dark, but you're now light. This is important. A little C.S. Lewis fun for you here. Nature is mortal. Nature is mortal. We shall outlive her. When all the suns and nebulae have passed away, each one of you will still be alive. Nature is only the image, the symbol. We are summoned to pass through nature beyond her to the splendor which is, which she fitfully reflects. Nature reflects glory. You are light. You're not just a biological entity. That reflects the glory of the Lord in Christ. Because He dwells in you. You are now by your very nature light. This, this is why we are now imitators of God. Right? Chapter 5 verse 1 is because now we don't just reflect light. We are light in the Lord. Let me be clear. And I want you to hear this come out of my mouth. We are not the light. That's Jesus. However, because the light has come to dwell in us by the Holy Spirit, we reflect that light that is shining due to His transformation of us into sons and daughters of God. Let me also be clear, we are not deities. We're image bearers, however. To quote Lewis further, you've never met mere mortal Either they are an eternal splendor or an eternal horror, but there are no mere mortals sitting in this room this morning. You're an image bearer of the living God. And if you're outside of Christ, you're a child of disobedience. You're in the darkness. But in Christ, you are now light. And you're an eternal splendor. 
Light by its very nature. You're not a deity, but you have light dwelling in you. We're humans. But you remember Moses? When he came down from the mountain meeting with the Lord, he glowed. That's cool. Don't know what that looks like. I've never glowed, never seen you glowing, but he glowed. Because he was in the very presence of the light. And here's the difference between Moses and us. Moses didn't get indwelling Holy Spirit. You do. Your very nature is that of light. Listen to 2 Peter 1, 3-4. His divine nature, whose? Jesus, has granted to us, who's us? Us. His divine nature has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You lack nothing to have life and godliness. Every resource of the kingdom is at your disposal. His divine nature has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So if it has to do with life and godliness, He's granted it to you freely in the gospel. It's there. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that, you know I love purpose clauses, and I always read them with the comma because that's grammatically important. Comma, so that. Why has he done all this? Why has he given me free access to everything I need for life and godliness? So that through them, through all that glory, we may become partakers of the divine nature. Man, you have access to the King and Creator of the universe. This is totally not in the notes, but this is why Christians ought to be leading their domain of influence. We don't follow systems. We should never follow systems created by people who aren't alive, who are dead, sons of disobedience. We should be on the tip of the spear because the creator of the universe dwells in us. And we often take a back seat to all kinds of domain leaders because we look at them as having something. No, they're dead. You are alive. Your very nature is that of light. Therefore, just be creative. Start something. Let's not follow deadness. We have become partakers of the divine nature of Christ. And in a very real way, we glow like Moses did. We shine as bearers of light in the darkness. Matthew 13, 43. Jesus In this glorious, my favorite chapter in Matthew on the parables of the kingdom. He says, then the righteous, and this is after his definition or at least further explanation of one of his parables to his disciples. He said, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Listen, Three Rivers Community Church and anybody who calls yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, we are light. This is why we talk about engaging your domain. This is why we talk about making sure that you don't just go have a job, but you make sure you take that job and you engage your domain with the gospel. You engage your domain with the kingdom of God, the rule of Jesus Christ. Man, you, you, you understand, you understand the potential you carry in you because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and light itself. Your job isn't to shun created order, but to engage it. 
You and I, our job is to bring the restorative kingdom to bear because we have it. We've got the keys of the kingdom. And so therefore, we don't shun culture, we engage it because Jesus wants to transform it. You're light. You have that. Everything you need for life and godliness. Because we, though, are light, you and I have a great responsibility. Listen, it's not just to show up on Sunday. That's vital. Don't skip it. I know in the West, we've grown accustomed to thinking Sunday morning gathering of the church is optional. You will not find that in your Bible. The gathering of the elect of God is essential in our growth in Christ. And so we dare not, as a matter of fact, it gets so explicit in Hebrews 10.25, do not neglect this. It's essential for your life and mine. And so, therefore, therefore, together, and this has been a piece of this we've covered for almost five chapters now, together, not separate, together, we have a great responsibility as light. And the rest of this passage is going to unpack that great responsibility. So let's take a look at it. The second part of verse 8 through verse 9. He says, walk as children of light. Because you are now not darkness, but you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then he's got this parenthetical comment. Where he says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So because we're no longer darkness and we are light. He says, here's how you walk worthy. Walk as children of light. In other words, the manner of your life must be that of light. Light. And he says the fruit of light is found. Where do you get the fruit of light? Well, it's found in all that is good, right, and true. The result is living of children of light is goodness. It's righteousness. And it's truth. If you ever wonder if you should be a participant, ask, is it good, right, and true. The word good, good here literally means virtuous or generous or benevolent. Is it virtuous? Is it generous? Or is it hoarding? Is it light virtue? Is it right? The antonym of right is lawless. The idea of righteousness here is the essence of being right. Conformity to the claims of a higher authority. Integrity in all dealings with God and with man. Is it right? Is it right? Does it submit to higher authority? If it's rogue and it appeals to its own authority for its goodness, it's not from God. There is no such thing as anything that is good and right that isn't bowed before the authority of God. Right? That's law. That's education. That's science. That's everything. We recognize that God is the ruler and creator of all things. Therefore, law, if we're going to do law, law has to come to us. It has to be revealed. We don't make it. That's called positive law. I know that's more than you wanted today. Positive law should always reflect divine law. And when positive law doesn't reflect Divine law, what you have is arbitrary laws that just happen to get made up by people who happen to be in power. 
That's communism, right? You tracking, right? And so we recognize that if it's, if it's right, it has to come from God and we bow the knee to it. And so it's revealed from God. And he says, walk as children of light. Where do you find the fruit? It's good, it's benevolent, it's virtuous, it's right. It submits to conformity to the claims of God. It's not lawless, it's lawful. Don't hear, don't hear in that legalism. That's not what I said. It's not what I said. It bows the knee to the authority of Christ in all things. If it's rogue, not submitted, it's not from Jesus. True reality from God's perspective or unveiled reality. It's showing something as it really really is. It's the absence of falsehood. We're told that because we're no longer sons of darkness, we're to walk as children of light. And the fruit of that is good, right, and true. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Benevolence and generosity should ooze out of followers of Jesus Christ. Here's just a real ground floor application. If you're not a giver, you're a thief. You're a thief. Because you falsely believe you own something. We live in a culture of ownership. And the Bible knows no ownership. They were every 50 years to release what they had back to its original owner because they recognized in their even law that God is the owner of all things. What does the psalmist say? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it is His. I used to do this with students. I would ask them this question. Who who has a phone? This was like pre-iPhone like and iPad stuff. Because I hadn't been in student ministry in, in a while. So it was like CD player. You know, you got a Walkman. Who has a Walkman? Or whatever. And people, oh, I got a Walkman. And I would ask this for like 15 minutes. Who's got a Walkman? And finally, some would start to catch on. Oh, I don't have. I don't. I, don't, I mean, I've got one, but it's not mine. And so I should probably keep my hand down. Exactly. And here was the point. You own nothing. This is why Jesus calls us managers, not owners. And the reality for us this morning is that if we're in Christ, we are light. And as light, we're to walk as children of light. And benevolence and generosity must ooze out of followers of Jesus Christ because it's good. What's a perfect example of benevolent generosity? While you and I were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not benevolence and generosity to those who deserve it, but particularly to those who don't. Because that's the example of what Christ has done for us. Righteousness must be the behavior of the heart that the world sees. Christians submitted to authority. This is why we're taught... Under those who properly exercise their God-given authority, we must submit. Romans 13. Truth. Truth is what we go after in all things. We seek the truth and we'll follow the truth wherever the truth leads us. We're to make sure we don't hide this light, but put it on display. Jesus taught us this in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, the Sermon on the Mount. Nobody lights a lamp and puts it, puts it like under a basket. 
It'd be like having these lights on and like covering them up. Like, well, what's the point of a light if we're going to cover up and be dark? There is no point. You are light. And the reason you are light is that it may burn brightly for all to see goodness, righteousness, and truth. Because we're light. Verse 10. We are to discern what pleases the Lord. I didn't do an awful lot here because it's it's almost as if you read this verse 10. And verse 10, at least as I read it, almost doesn't fit. It does. It's inspired. It's without error. This is God's word. But as I read that, I'm like, verse 10 would just be better if he took it out and then just went to verse 11. So what in the world is now? Because it's like, try, if you can, discern what the Lord's will is. I'm like, wait a second. Okay, it'd just been better if you said, and know the will of the Lord. But he says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. If we're light, and I guess I just have to go with the clear meaning of the text, we should be people who are seeking to know the pleasure of the Lord. Meaning this, we are not seeking our pleasure first, we are seeking what makes Jesus big first. Meaning, we should be discerners of what makes Jesus happy. And, by the way, if we're imitators of God, we are going to do what makes Him happy, right? Because God does what makes Him happy. That was last week. So, therefore, as imitators of God, we are seeking to know what makes Jesus big in every circumstance. Now, I think... Maybe not so clear part of verse 10 is the reason we have to discern what pleases the Lord is because the Bible doesn't address every situation we're going to find ourselves in. Does it? The Bible nowhere says in Exodus, When thou risest in the morning and goeth to work and puncheth the clock, and thy co-worker cometh to thee and throws an ethical anomaly on thee, thou shalt respond in this way. Does it? No. But what do you do when you're punching the clock and your coworker throws an ethical anomaly on you? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, Holy Spirit, if you're ever counselor, if you've ever talked out loud, do it now. Right? Seek to discern what pleases the Lord. Meaning, meaning, this freedom that we have in the Lord now because of the gospel... To walk under the headship of Christ as our head who teaches us and instructs us on what to do and how to do it is an opportunity for us to engage Him in this great adventure called life. Where we get the privilege of trying to discern in any situation, Lord, what do you want right now? By the way, this was Hudson Taylor's spiritual secret. If you hadn't read Hudson Taylor's biography, you go repent and get it and read it. This was his secret. Hudson Taylor's whole secret is in every moment be completely the Lord's and do not do anything other than what He tells you to do. Do you believe He'll speak to you in that moment enough to actually wait on Him to speak to you in that moment and then do what He says? Or do you think God doesn't, you don't, just go do whatever and then He'll just dominus omus bless it? What is it? You see, this is one of the reasons people don't think Christianity is fun is because they think it is a mechanism of rule following, not an adventure of following the triune God of the universe, waiting for the Holy Spirit to speak in that moment for us to be obedient to Him. Try to discern the will. You're light, so walk as children of light. Good, right, and true, and discern the will of the Lord. What's pleasing to Him? What makes Jesus happy right now? What makes Jesus happy in this moment? 
do it. Understand this is not a license to sin or act in folly. Right? We should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're taught in the word. If we're in sin and our brothers and sisters call us out on it, we should humble ourselves and accept their love as love from the Lord and repent and move forward. If we're about to do something dumb and our family and the Lord corrects our folly, we should listen as if this is coming from the Lord and His grace and don't be stupid and then move toward wisdom. Meaning you do life together, you do community together, and sometimes you have to seek counsel from other people, and the Lord gives, this is why spiritual gifts are given, is so that the Spirit can equip somebody else to serve us. You've heard me say this a hundred times, gifts aren't given so you can have one. They're given to serve other people with, so if you're not in community, don't expect any gifts. Don't expect a gift sitting privately alone in front of the podcast, waiting on the Spirit to do something cool. It's not coming. Get in community. And Holy Spirit will gift you with whatever you need in that moment to serve somebody else in need in the body. That's what He does. And so we submit, we listen, and we wait for the Lord to speak. And had a wise person tell me, it never hurts to put off something for 24 hours. Unless it's surgery, trust the doctor. right? But it never hurts to just wait. Sit back and, Lord, I'm not moving until you speak. We're to be actively following the Lord Jesus and seeking to hear and obey. Hear and obey. Hear and obey. Here's the very essence of what it means to grow in Christ. Learn to hear Him and obey Him. It's really that simple. Learn to hear Him and obey Him. And you know what? In a very busy, where we're ruled by busyness, and the concept of resting before the Lord is pretty much anathema now because absolutely Jesus doesn't intend for us to obey what He's written in the Word. We can do kind of whatever the freak we want to do, right? Because grace, man. Grace. Because obviously for us, grace means I don't have to do anything Jesus said, right? Because grace, no, that's not what it means. It means getting quiet. Take the earbuds out. Turn off the television. And I'm super good at loud because the first thing I do is get in my truck. I've got one radio station program that's 92.9 the game. And my boys can sing every jingle. And we know every radio show host. And we go to Falcons training camp. Look, look, look. look there's Mike. Look, there's Carl. Carl. We met Cordell Stewart, which is former quarterback for the, you know, the Steelers, right? Because Cordell, it used to be Carl and Cordell, but now it's like Buck, I mean, uh, uh, Carl and Mike Bell. So it's like, hey, we know these cats because there's just noise. 92.9, the game, right? And if you listen to 92.9, you're like, yes, it's the best sports talk radio station there is. But, you know, sometimes it, it requires, you know, turn the radio off and just sit quietly. Place busyness in last place. And you know, we live in a context in which we just don't think there's place for me to stop doing work. Because after all, and by the way, this is just true. If you wait for busyness to stop, you will never stop. This is just an assault. This is part of the curse. This is part of the fall. Is the constant assault on you being able to hear God. And so if everything is keeping coming at you and keeps you from hearing God, do you think it came from the Holy Spirit? Or should maybe we reject it and say, no, I think the most important thing for me to do is sit and get quiet and hear from the Lord. Could it be God can actually stop the sun from setting? Or is that just a myth, right? We don't believe that. 
Can he turn water to wine? Nah, that's a myth, right? No, of course not. Do we trust Jesus or do we trust us? Get quiet and then listen for the Holy Spirit to speak. We're going to get to spiritual warfare when we get to chapter 6. Demons speak. They speak to you all the time. Demons are the best teachers on the face of the planet apart from Jesus. Their seduction is sweet and their doctrine sounds right. Demons believe and shudder, we learn. Demons believe better doctrine. Their doctrine's better than Grudem's systematic theology. But they don't act on it. They don't obey it. Listen for the Holy Spirit and discern the voice of God versus your voice and the voice of the demonic. And lest you think that's not going on, I dare you to get quiet long enough for you to stop talking to yourself silently and listen. And the reason we don't do it is because we try to stop and we can't stop talking to ourselves. And the to-do list keeps coming. You know your own voice. You know when you're talking to you, right? You're like, I don't talk to me. I'm saying, no, you do. We talk to ourselves. Listen for the Holy Spirit. Say, how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? He'll speak consistently with what he's already said. And I promise you, there's no framework for me to tell you this because the Bible doesn't say, you will know. You can't miss him. You can't miss him. Have ears that hear. You notice Jesus gave that a lot. He commanded that an awful lot. He who has ears to hear, hear. You notice Jesus said that a lot. But he never told you. He never had like the next verse. It said, and here's how if thou hear. Hear. So that must mean that if he has awakened you to life, you'll know. But I guarantee you, you won't know unless you stop and get quiet to hear. And then obey. Obey. God's never wrong. Verse 11 and 12. How do we continue to walk worthy? How do we walk as in this great responsibility of being light? Verse 11 and 12. We're to expose darkness. We're not to participate in it. We're to expose darkness, not participate. Darkness. And here's, I'm going to give you a definition of darkness that I made up. And so there's no footnote here because this came out of just my definition of darkness from the text. And so... If this is decent, use it. If not, throw it away. But I think we can properly define darkness as any curse of the fall being lived out under the lie that it is good or any curse of the fall not good but being used as beneficial to the few who use that curse to their advantage and the destruction of others. Any curse of the fall lived out under the lie that it's good or any curse of the fall being used as beneficial to some and destructive against those that it's used against. Darkness. Curse of the fall. Under the lie that this is actually good. And I, I, didn't, make a huge, I didn't make any list here, but I guarantee you, you can sit here for a second. If you just think about things that aren't good, that get told to us are good every day, your list would be long. And Paul tells us here, if we're going to walk worthy in this unifying gospel, we've got to call darkness, darkness. And we can't put a Christian t-shirt on it and pretend it's good. Or drape a cross around its neck and say, oh, good. Call darkness, darkness and refuse to participate. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. In other words, darkness isn't fruitful. 
This is part of the lie of the dark. Oh, this is good. It's beneficial. Work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It'll be good for you. That's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. You don't need to be with the body. You got the podcast. Those people get on your nerves. And after all, you're the most important person in your life. Forget them. Make yourself happy. That that is called, Paul says, this is unfruitful. Don't take part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, expose them. You know disease flourishes in the dark? You know it's hard? It's hard for mold and mildew to grow in the sun. It won't. Disease flourishes in the dark. Total darkness would bring an end to vegetative life on the earth. You ever notice how when we sin, the first thing we want to do is what? Go public with it? No, exactly. You want to cover it up. Hide it. Why? Because disease and darkness like darkness. This is why when a person's sin goes public, the first thing they want to do is backtrack and try to cover it up. Why? Because sin likes darkness. In like fashion, spiritual darkness brings disease and death. The problem with the fall, and and this is what our parents did in the garden, right? What did Adam and Eve do after the fall? Run to the Lord? Hid. Hid. Disease and sin like to hide. The problem with the fall is it made darkness appear to be preferable. The fall made darkness appear to be preferable. It's better if I hide. It's better if they don't know. That too is a lie. Because that carries with it death. What did David say in Psalm 51? Is only after this stuff comes out that there is rejoicing, right? The fallen world system prefers darkness to life. Fallen creatures prefer lies to truth. There is much in created order that needs attention. And there is an awful lot in created order that needs exposure to the light. And the redemption of the kingdom of God brought to the table. And this is where it's going to kind of rubber meet the road for a minute. Many Christians have a great passion for certain very good social causes. We like exposing some dark things, but there are some dark things we want to perhaps leave in the dark because if we expose them, there may be repercussions. There's a quote here from David Platt in a book I suggest you go get. Uh, It's real cheap on Kindle. Uh, It's at $2.99. And if you like a hard copy, I don't know, 10, 12 bucks. It's called Counterculture. You'll get it and read it. If you're following the blog, I put a list here and I put a link to each one of these issues where Platt gives you some organizations you can go to to get involved. Listen to this. On popular issues like poverty and slavery where Christians are likely applauded for our social action, we're quick to stand up and speak. Yet on controversial issues like 
homosexuality and abortion. Where Christians are likely to be criticized for our involvement, we're content to sit down and stay quiet. It's as if we've decided to pick and choose which social issues we'll contest and which we'll concede. Our picking and choosing normally involves or normally revolves around what is most comfortable and least costly for us in our culture. You know the ones you don't want to speak out in public because if you do, you know what they're going to think of you. The reality for us is we don't have an option on the kingdom. The kingdom is going to transform every domain in society. And we're either ashamed of Christ, and Jesus told us what happens if we're ashamed of Him and His kingdom. At His coming, He will be ashamed of us. Let me translate that for you. If you're ashamed of Jesus' kingdom, you're not in His kingdom. It's not. Poverty we're good at. We feed the homeless. How's the homeless? That's awesome. Abortion? No, not so much. Not so much. We just covered that issue in my apologetics class. We're dealing with politics. We're talking about the role of politics and the role of politics in the life of believers. And we particularly cover this issue legally and politically, the issue of abortion. And the problem with this issue is it has been couched with a straw man. And that straw man is under the guise of a woman's right to choose. And we don't know how to counter that. We just buy it because, A, Christians don't want to think. We don't read. And because we don't read, we don't know how to think. And so we can't even, we can't even articulate a coherent thought on that subject. We don't even know how to criticize or critique an argument. We go, well, I guess everybody's free and you can choose whatever you want to do. The one question you're going to have to learn to answer and do it biologically first is, is it human? That's the only question that matters. S-L-E-D, SLED, size, level development, environment, degree of dependency. All those are irrelevant. All those are irrelevant. Right? Is the two-year-old child less valuable than a 20-year-old? Two-year-old girl can't reproduce yet. 20-year-old can, so is she less useful? So size is irrelevant, right? No matter size. I'm not going to work to this because it takes take 40 minutes to do it, but SLED, S-L-E-D. All those are irrelevant issues, right? A person that has to be hooked up to a dialysis machine, are they any less valuable than a child, a fetus that has to be connected to its mother through an umbilical cord? Degree of dependency is irrelevant. question is, is it human? And what do we know about the law of, bio, law of biogenesis? Each kind produces its own kind. Squirrels make squirrels. Dogs make dogs. Cats make cats. Humans make humans. We win. We win. And so here's the deal. Don't be afraid of that issue. Expose it. It's on the same level with Hitler's execution of Jews. And we fund it and we let them fund it. You give your tax dollars to fund it. Planned Parenthood takes your money and executes babies. And we're content to let it happen. And the party that people put out as Christian keeps pandering to us for our vote. And they do nothing. They're going to hell too. 
Do you understand? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm fired up. Do you understand? We are afraid to get dirty because we're afraid of what people will think of us. Jesus hasn't given us the option. When will we decide that we're willing to go to prison for the sake of the gospel? Oh, that will never happen to us because Paul, you know, Paul, they don't, they put people in prison then. They don't put people in prison now. Yeah, they do. Stop paying your taxes on purpose. I'm not saying I'm going to do that, but I'm saying you go try that and see how it happens, right? I'm just saying. You know what I mean. We have to, we can't pick and choose what part of the kingdom we're good with. Orphans and widows. We say we're good with that one, but we're still not signing up to take the babies. Mama, don't abort the baby, but don't give the baby to me. I pay for defects, let them handle it. Sex slavery. There are more slaves today than there were when William Wilberforce was seeking to do away with slave trade in the British Empire. There are more slaves today than there ever have been. Marriage. We don't want to talk about same-sex marriage. Because that one makes us look bad too. We're going to get to Ephesians 5 and marriage here in the not-too-distant future. Sexual morality. Christians are as easy to fall into that as non-Christians. Issues of ethnicity. We're more segregated today in the American church than we ever have been. We've been dealing with that in the unity of the church. Religious liberty. Listen, Christians, never let me hear a Three Rivers person saying that we don't want Muslims to have the same freedoms we have. Never let me hear that come out of your mouth. Why? Because we will win. Elijah, prophets of Baal. We even given a story in the Old Testament about it. There is no Allah. Let you know a secret. There is no Allah. But there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I Please build a mosque across the street. It will make it easier to evangelize them. Please. We already have an Islamic center here in town. Go meet them. Go to Jerusalem Grill. Have a conversation. Drop the G-bomb and watch Holy Spirit save people. Religious freedom. We want freedom for all. If we're into freedom, then let's let people be free. And then take the gospel to them. But don't fail to take the gospel to them. Lord, please let them build a mosque across the street. Be awesome. We spend less money on airplane tickets. Which is okay. We want to spend money on airplane tickets. But that's okay. We can go across the street too. Unreached people groups. The gospel. We have to, I, I, I have to get, I'm very careful here at school because this offends a lot of people. I can say this to you because we know where we're at here. We've got to stop calling trips in town to homeless ministry mission trips. That's not a mission trip. You need to go across an eth- ethnic border for that to count. You know what I'm saying? You need to cross an ethnic border. You need to get into a people group. Does it make sense? Go somewhere other than just like the community kitchen. That's awesome. We need to do that. Don't stop doing that if you're doing it. Amen? Keep doing it. It's needed. But don't call that mission. Make sense? Because what that does is cheapen the Great Commission when people cross borders. Right? When Senor Lanier goes to, to Mexico and is working in Tijuana in some hard places... Right? You need to cross some borders. Then you can call it mission. Does that make sense? We start thinking about that. Finally, slumbering believers, verse 13 and 14, slumbering believers must await to the mission. Listen to what Paul says here. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Duh. Sometimes I read Paul and I'm going, come on, man. 
get that. But then he says this, for anything that becomes visible is light. Okay. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What we get here in verse 14, the second part of verse 14, appears to be an early Christian baptismal hymn. And every resource I could find, I put your footnote there, referred to this as an incomplete baptismal hymn. Like we don't know where the rest of it comes from. Paul's just quoting a portion of it here. But it appears to draw on Isaiah 26, 19 and Isaiah 61 to 2. And regardless of what it's doing and how Paul uses it in the text, it seems to sum up the call of verse 2 to verse 14. And that is, we are, because we're light, we're to leave behind the realm of darkness and death. In other words, the Christian must not be slumbering in darkness, but must be actively pursuing light. Is Paul here speaking to unbelievers that have found their place in the Ephesian church? Or is he speaking to believers? Or is he speaking to believers who are waning in their zeal and appear to be more dark than light? I think it's the latter. Whatever the origin of these words, it appears here in the church at Ephesus that there are some who are light in the Lord who need to be reminded their light in the Lord and begin walking worthy. I think this is probably the occasion for the book of Ephesians. Why did Paul write the book of Ephesians? To these people who needed to be reminded who they are, what the mission is, and how to walk worthy in the gospel. So therefore, Christian, don't forget the hymn you quoted when you were baptized and and you came back up out of the water. Awake from sleep. Awake from sleep. Don't forget who you are. And we're going to read later in the book of Revelation. We're not studying through Revelation. We did that a couple years ago. But you're going to read John's letter to the church at Ephesus. What? Rekindle the love. You're slumbering. The love you had at first, you've lost. Church at Ephesus. So I believe this is the occasion for the book. Those slumbering, those who are light, but they've sort of forgotten their light and they're slumbering. And Paul says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Paul is writing to shake them from their slumber by reminding them of who they are, whose they are by the working of the gospel and how they're to walk worthy in their calling in Christ. Here's just some things here to think on. It's a fact that Christians can be snoozing spiritually and not know it. It is a fact that you and I can be snoozing spiritually and totally be okay with it. Comfort does this to Christians. Listen to me and listen to me carefully. And I One of the greatest things God ever does for His church is allow them to be persecuted. This is why when we study the church in the East that is persecuted, the spiritual zeal, the miracles, the life is so vibrant there is because they're radically dependent on the Lord. There's nothing taken for granted. Where we're comfortable, we take everything for granted. We just assume things. Comfort does this to us. We can be snoozing spiritually... And because we got Grudem on the shelf, we go to the right church, we think all is well. Difficulty has a grace in it that shakes us from slumbering to alertness. So this is this is a this is like a this, I'm just being honest. This is a little fear thing in me. Jesus, teach me, but teach me gently. You, you don't have to wake me. You don't have to like be harsh. I, I want to hear. 
Don't put me under none of that. I'm good. Just talk. I'll do it. Don't do that to me. It's possible to be slumbering and be a slumbering light even though we're well regarded by others. Who may think you're spiritual? Because you do all the right external things when in fact you're slumbering. It's possible to be asleep while looking like one that's awake. Just be for the right political party. Cheer for the right socially acceptable cause. Put the red X on your hand. Whatever. Man, they're spiritual. Not necessarily. It's possible to pray while slumbering by just mouthing the same words you've heard others pray. In other words, your prayer life is nothing other than what you've heard other people pray. There's no personal walk with the Lord and dialogue with the Lord. Which, by the way, your prayer ought to be unique between you and Jesus. He is alive and speaking to His people. You can talk to Him. He will talk to you. It's possible to sing a song without being awake to the words. It's possible to lead a ministry without knowing or caring for the end for which you're leading it. Listen, guys, it's not enough to do good ministry and do it for the wrong reasons. We do and we engage our domain so that the kingdom may come in that domain. Not simply for the mere alleviation of an issue. We want the issue to be alleviated, then establish the rule of Jesus Christ over it. Bring light to bear on it so that it produces goodness, rightness, and truth. It's possible to live in a dreamy life of unreality. And this is, this is another last little quote here. In the netherland of inaction. We have to be on mission and not just hanging out and happy to be here. Listen guys, we've been given the keys of the kingdom. Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, we are told we have the keys of the kingdom. And at the very least, without spending 40 minutes unpacking it, it's time to close down. We have the authority to bind up sin. Matthew 18. In, in Jesus giving us the keys to the kingdom, we have the authority of Jesus Christ to stop and bind up sin. This is why in Matthew 18, he gave us church discipline process. Not because we don't like people, because we don't want the leaven of sin to spread to other people. We have the authority to bind it. We have the authority to preach the gospel and open the door of salvation to those who will enter. Matthew 16, 9. Have the keys of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And in both of these passages, what we learn is we have the authority to conduct this spiritual battle because the general is overseeing it personally. This passage gets abused by people. Where two or three are gathered in his name, there I am. So what happens if I'm alone? Is Jesus not there? That's not what that means. Jesus is drawing from the Old Testament where you had to have two or three witnesses to validate something. And he's speaking in the context of discipline. In other words, don't bring a charge of discipline against anybody unless you've got witnesses. But where you have witnesses and people are breaking my truth, there I am working the process through your actions with the keys of the kingdom I've given you. In other words, if you obey me, I will be there as general making sure the advance is successful. Listen, guys, we have the keys of the kingdom. And so therefore, therefore, 
We can be light. We must be light. And we must shun darkness. And you know, finally, what do people of light do? They worship. People of light worship. Psalm 147.1 started this little thing I hope you're starting to catch on to. Praise the Lord. Those in the light worship. Praise the Lord. It is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. It is fitting that worshipers of the Lord sing. You know one of the things that people in other faiths don't do? They don't celebrate in song. Because they don't have a reason to. We do. Dare not let anything keep you from making much of Jesus. Being light. Light worships.